0: Welcome to Downstage Center, a presentation of XM Satellite Radio and the American Theatre Wing. I'm John von Susten, Program Director of XM28 on Broadway.
1: And I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing.
0: Today we're joined by Kate Burton. Hi, Kate. Hi. I should add, a three-time Tony nominee most recently this year for The Constant Wife. And a couple years ago in 2002, two shows in the same year, The Elephant Man and Hedda Gabler, Television audiences now know you from Grey's Anatomy, certainly. Not that we haven't known you before, but playing uh, Ellis Grey in Grey's Anatomy. We'll maybe talk about that later. But let's start talking about uh, your current show that you're in, Off-Broadway at second stage, The Water's Edge.
2: The Water's Edge is a uh, uh, a new play. It actually was done uh, once before, two years ago, at the Williamstown Theatre Festival. And uh, it's a new play by Teresa Rebeck, and it's directed by Will Frears. And five characters... um, And it's not really a domestic. I'm I'm told that I'm not supposed to say it's a domestic drama, but it, but it kind of is. Uh, It's loosely based on the Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oresteia. So what can I tell you? It's not. I mean, it's actually got a lot of laughs, actually. Uh, But uh, it's uh, how should we say a little bit dramatic. So, um, but a great cast. Tony Goldwyn plays my husband. And my children are played by Austin Lissy and Mamie Gummer. And then Tony's girlfriend is played by uh, Catherine Powell.
0: And we should explain that you and your husband are estranged.
2: We're estranged. A long we haven't time. seen each other in 17 years. And at
0: the opening of the show, he has reappeared at his childhood home, which is at the edge of a lake, hence the title Water's Edge. You got it. And what follows thereafter is a domestic, um, a domestic problem. <laughs> some domestic
2: disputes. Yeah. But but interesting, uh, surprising, I think. Um, I, had, I had done a reading of this play three years ago years ago at Wayne's Town. In a reading series, and immediately knew that it was something that I wanted to work on, and so here we are, three years later.
0: And then you played the role of the wife I at did, Williamstown. in
2: Williamstown with a slightly different cast.
0: Yeah, and the cast—the the children are adult children, so they yes, have adult. Yes, they're, tw- they're meant to
2: be twenty-three and twenty-seven.
0: Right. right. It's a very, very, very well done show, and quite moving. Thanks. And sitting there in the audience, you get so engrossed, you really want to be there for second act.
2: I know. I, yeah,
0: I, I really didn't want to have an intermission. I wanted to keep it going. Well,
2: that's actually, and you know, it's actually kind of a short show, uh-huh. so uh, which is not nice. Uh For them and for us, because it's very intense. So from soup to nuts, it's two hours and including the intermission. And it's just great. It's a really an enjoyable show to do.
1: Well, it's obviously a show that you've been involved with now for a few years. What specifically appealed to you about the show? So that you would you would pursue it. And indeed, did they end up waiting for you well, to there, do this in New York? I think or? it was
2: kind of, it was not so much waiting. I think it was waiting a little bit for me, my schedule, and Tony Goldwyn's schedule to coincide. Um, Tony, Had Tony
1: also done it at Williamstown? Tony
2: did not do it at Williamstown. But Tony and I were at Williamstown as non-equity actors together in 1980 in the Greeks. Actually, 1981, I'm sorry, in the Greeks, directed by Nikos Sakharopoulos, which is that 10, it's the 10 plays
1: of the Greeks, you know, from
2: from soup to nuts. Seriously. So since this was
1: based on the Oresteia, they we decided thought, why to reunite not? you.
2: But Tony and I have done another play together. We did a Frank McGinnis play together as professional actors at Williamstown called Carthaginians. And then we also appeared in a movie together on Showtime that shall remain nameless. But anyway, um, <laughs> it, uh, Tony is just a, such a sweetheart and we just feel so comfortable together and it's been great. But uh, they waited a little bit for us, I think, and just for everybody's schedules to kind of Sorted out in Austin. Lissy had done the play at Williamstown. My, who plays our son? And he he is reenacting his role. And um, you know, I think the thing, the reason that I wanted to do it was, you know, having played Hedda Gabler and also um, Maureen in The Beauty Queen of Lina, and I knew that there's something that really appeals to me about these dark characters, but that have like a lot of life and humor, and. I I just it was the first time since playing Hedda when I read something that sort of the hair stood up on the back of my neck and I thought hmm this is an interesting I haven't had this feeling in a long time and my stock in trade seems to be uh, with the exception of the constant wife that I take these kind of larger than life women and make them sort of human and I always look for the laughs you know because I'm a ham at heart
1: well. <laughs> Given the opportunity to have been involved in a reading at Williamstown, it inevitably was a short run at mm-hmm. Williamstown, mm-hmm. and now, how much did you have the opportunity to work with the, the author, Teresa Rebeck, in how the character developed, and did it change over time based on your involvement?
2: Yeah, a little, uh, uh, somewhat. My My character changed over time. Um, the structure of the play changed a bit, and Carol Rothman, the artistic director of the second stage, was very helpful, I think, in kind of re... Uh, figuring a few things uh there, the 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 play is in five scenes, and the last scene is the one that 's the most altered um I have a, a an enormous speech in the middle of it. That's exactly the same, but everything around it is all is all re- reorganized because we, we really learned a lot from the Williamstown audience. We could see where we were losing them and we could see where they were gripped. And so that was really helpful to us. The difference between doing it at Williamstown and doing it here was at Williamstown you have three weeks of rehearsal. Here we had four and here we have seven weeks of playing and there we had two. So truly by the end of the Williamstown run we really felt like we were just getting started and here we have I feel like a lot of time, I mean seven weeks to me is a very long time
0: well what 's interesting about the water 's edge is it 's kind of in a way like a Hitchcock uh, film mm-hmm. where it takes unexpected twists mm-hmm. and so also you mentioned five scenes it 's kind of like um, peeling an onion, you get to yeah. different layers, and as you get deeper, you find more and more meat and flesh yes. in the show
2: it 's true i mean it 's it's, um, It's a very surprising evening, I think. Like, what you think... I mean, that's also another thing that always appeals to me, is, like, you think it's going to be one thing. Mm -hmm. It's like Shining City by Conor McPherson. You think it's going to be one thing, and then it just totally twists around. And you go, oh, my God. I mean, we don't have quite the impact at the end of that play, but, um, you know, things that sort of... You know, something that just changes the whole... The whole angle on the play and actually, you know, and it is my son who came to see it last night, my 18 year old said, boy, you know, like everybody has very good reasons for doing what they do in the play and everybody's reasons are very valuable. But, in fact, they don't coincide. And, of course, that's what makes great theater.
0: And it also, as you go through it, the, the characters, what we, the audience, know about the characters, that changes. We find more about yes, them exactly. as well as about the situation. And they
2: find out. I mean, my character finds out something she never knew, you mm-hmm. know, ha- sort of two-thirds through the play, which you think is going to completely turn her head around. And we think that that's happening. And then, of course, it's a different story.
1: It's interesting what you said before about you look for these somewhat dark, larger than life characters. <laughs> because as someone who's who's followed your career now for, for about twenty years, you started off being cast very often as ingenues. Totally. And how did you manage that transition? How did you get people to think of you mm-hmm. as as someone other than the the, the sweet Welsh well, looking girl? Uh,
2: thank you. I'm Welsh looking. Gosh, that's true. Um, well, you know, I mean, I feel very blessed because when I came out of drama school in uh, 1982 from Yale, I, I really was a classical ingenue. I mean, I did all the ingenue parts, and I played a lot of them in college, a lot of them at Yale. And, um, you know, as I moved, th- always, the interesting, uh, always the interesting transition for all of us who were very successful ingenues is to leading lady and what kind of leading lady, you know, we're going to play. I mean, there. are you know, because of my classical training and because of my British background, I've always felt very comfortable playing period roles, you know, meaning, you know, sort of before 1940, I guess. Um, uh, and I think that for me the biggest thing was not so much going to these darker roles, but going to playing leading roles. That was uh, That took a long time for me to feel comfortable from playing wonderful supporting roles in all kinds of plays. To the transition, I had ha- played some leading roles in my in my late 20s early 30s and they didn't really work so well and it wasn't until sort of late into my 30s and when I had my daughter Charlotte that I started to play really mega huge leading lady roles and the very f- the very f- the first two that I really did successfully where I took over was I took over from Kate Nelligan in an American Daughter directed by Daniel Sullivan and the course, Wendy Wasserstein written by the beautiful yeah. Wendy Wasserstein. And then I took over in The Beauty Queen of Lean Ann, directed by the wondrous Gary Hines and written by Martin McDonough. And I played that on Broadway for three months. And then I played it in Ireland and England for five months. So I really had a chance to really get my bearings of how to tackle these big old parts. And, and I wasn't reviewed so that was nice. Like, I was able to just do it and really do the work and not have to worry about what is the New York Times going to say. So I it was really I. I was offered Hedda right before I went to do the UK-Ireland tour of, of uh, Beauty Queen, and I burst out laughing, and I said, Oh, but, you know, I'm Nora in a doll's house. I'm not Hedda Gabler. And then I played Maureen in Beauty Queen, and I went, Ooh, I can play Hedda now, you know, because it's very similar themes, actually, with Maureen and Hedda. And, um, and. uh It was really... I started rehearsing Hedda Gabler 10 days after I finished Beauty Queen. And I was ready. I'm I was just simply ready.
1: And that was the head that you did at Williamstown. I did we're gonna HEDA keep everywhere. using the word Williamstown Yes. we'll talk about that shortly. Right. But you did head at Williamstown. Actually I started
2: at the Bay Street Theater oh. in Sag Harbor. We started in a very small house, the Bay Street Theater, and then we did it at Williamstown. Then we took off about I guess three, four months, and we did it in Boston at the Huntington Theater, which is run by Nikki Martin, who directed it. And then we were reviewed in Boston by the New York Times and then that was it. And then we knew there was a moment where we thought we were going to come to New York in the spring of that 2001, but we ended up faithfully coming in the fall. And, of course, that was right after September the 11th. And I must say it was an incredible time to be here because, as my friend Dana Ivey said, we felt like, you know, the cultural firemen. I mean, we knew the people were coming to the theater because they just needed to go to the theater. And to be doing one of the greatest plays ever written was one of the most thrilling experiences.
1: But you also, as the stories go... Had to kind of fight to get that head of gabbler in people. People talk about you actually pushing to get that show here.
2: I did. I can't believe I did it. Which you don't hear about you know, actors I'm, doing. Well, I'm not that kind of gal, you know. I mean, I don't do that kind of thing. But I knew in my heart that this was a Broadway show, and I have to thank Janet McTeer because when she did Nora in A Doll's House, and here, you know, if you looked at me and Janet, Janet and I, you would say, okay, Janet should play Hedda, and Kate should play Nora, and the fact that we. Played the opposite roles was so interesting, and Janet, um, you know, she she was so groundbreaking with 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 that Nora and a Dolls house that we knew that Ibsen could happen on Broadway. We knew that Ibsen could be successful on Broadway, and I just it was really funny. It was just something came over me in in the uh, the run in uh, Bay Street and then particularly the run in Williamstown because then we were in a proscenium house, you know. We just knew. And I had about three... I called four producers myself. I got on the telephone, and I talked to four producers. And three of them came up, and two of them started to kind of duke it out slightly. But then we there was no theater. There was a theater. We could have sort of done it right away, but we didn't want to do that. We wanted to go to Boston first. And uh, so we talked to one of our darling, you know, theater owners on Broadway, and I, you know, just was so... You know, I mean, I just, I, I wasn't, I didn't pull any punches. I just said, look, you know, I just think this is really the real deal, and and I was, I had a lot of support for that, and so that was great. But I, I was really, I can't believe how brazen I was.
0: Well, what, how did you had to fight? What was the problem? Were they just resistant to the idea of head of gamblers?
2: They Broadway, were resistant or? to the head of to the head. At that point, you know, I was. I mean, you know, and I mean, I, I consider myself a working actor, but I also felt like I hadn't moved to that spot where I suddenly was, you know, in a proper position to headline a Broadway show. I'd certainly done a lot of Broadway shows. I, I played great supporting parts. I played a couple of leading parts um, with all kinds of, you know, mixed results. So, you know, I was a proven New York actor, but – and um, – so I think there was that resistance. Honestly, there were no actual theaters for us. I mean, that's so often the problem, particularly because initially we d- really did want to open, like, in the spring. In a classic way, we would have finished in Boston and then come straight into New York, but there were no theaters. But anyway, it was it was definitely the New York Times Review in um, in Boston that changed everything for us, and so suddenly we were, you know, being offered, not offered theaters all over town. There was one theater that might have become available to us... Um And it wasn't the right one. So we decided to wait for the one that wasn't right. It wasn't
0: right because right it was too big or, or?
2: It was too big or it was sort of in a, not as such a hot spot. However, we ended up going to the Ambassador, which was great. Just a great theater for us. And it was a very happy uh, experience.
0: Did you ever consider off-Broadway rather than Broadway?
2: You know, we never did. And I don't really don't know why. I mean, because I would have been happy to do it off-Broadway. Um. You know, I don't know. We just kind of plowed, up, plowed into Broadway. We just, you know, truly, I mean, I feel so comfortable on Broadway. It's like a, such a funny thing. It's, it's, it's a place that I feel like I've, I literally have grown. I mean, Williamstown Theater Festival and Broadway are the two places I've grown up as an actor. And um, I've done both, you know, The Lord on Broadway many, many times, but I've also done commercial Broadway. And, you know, it's, I feel so at home there.
1: Well, as you talk about growing up in the theater, one can't help but ask—or <laughs> yes. not ask—can't help not ask, <laughs> uh, whatever the correct phrase there is. Um, you are the daughter of Richard Burton. Yes, your I mom, am. Sybil Christopher, now runs the Bay Street Theater that you mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you went off to college, you weren't planning to enter the family business. No. I was planning to do anything but the
2: family business. I I, I went to the United Nations School in New York City, and so I I grew up uh, with children, a lot of children of diplomats. And I also grew up, you know, learning two other languages besides English. So... I uh, When I went to, to Brown University, I, I was a history and Russian studies major, and um, I was planning to go into diplomacy, what, and what, then, what, terribly what, wrong.
0: Why, why Russian why, studies? Yeah.
2: Russian studies. I was always... Well, I studied Russian in high school, uh, and I remember when I was uh, in the eighth grade, it um, was the first time I was in the United Nations. It was my first year at Eunice, and I read um, My Childhood by Gorky, and I read Nicholas and Alexandra, you know, the great uh, telling of that incredible time and I just it was like a love affair and its it still hasn't stopped I've done all of Chekhov many times over um, I try to keep up with my Russian a bit I'm very um, I, it's just always been a place that's fascinated me hugely I'm about to do The Cherry Orchard for the second time and uh you know, I, it's just one of those things. I just was very pa- the way my dad was passionate about poetry and Shakespeare. I was passionate about Chekhov. So, so
0: Russian is one of the two languages, other than English, French,
2: French and Russian. French. Yeah, I mean, I don't speak fluently, but I can get by. I mm. can get around Moscow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, when did you decide to move towards a stage career? Um,
2: right before my senior year, I went to the uh, I went to visit. Uh, UC Berkeley for graduate school in Slavic studies and I visited a friend of mine who was at ACT in San Francisco, my friend Nancy Carlin who still lives out there. Her mom Joy Carlin was one of the original founders of ACT and Nancy and I were at Brown together and I visited with her. She was at the ACT summer school and I kind of hung out with her and I was visiting Berkeley and seeing all the professors and I just suddenly, it was like this epiphany. I just thought, you know what, who am I getting? This is... I've always done it... I had always done it as an extracurricular. I'd taken all the acting classes at Brown, which were very good, by the way. And Brown had a very happy, good theater program, which, you know, I participated in somewhat and um, did tons and tons of plays and couldn't stay off the stage. And finally, I kind of knew I had I had been given the opportunity to go to Leningrad for my uh, second semester senior year, and I chose to stay at Brown and play Nina and the Seagull. So I knew then something 's up, but uh, I decided I had to go to drama school. I mean, I definitely needed training um, I had my voice was all over the place, and so I applied to four drama schools. Uh, My father was not so thrilled with this whole notion, but he, I said to him, Look, you know, I promise you, if it's not working out, I'll do something else.
0: He wasn't thrilled about you going into the family business. He wasn't,
2: you know, and I mean, my son is interested in it too, and it's just like, ugh, you know, and then I think, Well, what am I going to do? Stop him? I mean, I can't, you know, he knows, he can see what my life is like. There are times like now where I'm nonstop working all the time, and there are times where I'm languishing (laughs) around the house. (laughs) But, um, But, you know, truly. The most important thing for me was um, those, I went to, I ended up going to Yale School of Drama, and that was a great, great experience, and so full of hijinks, and um, and, and great, great teachers. I had a, a, I felt very prepared, and then I walked straight out of Yale and onto Broadway. I mean, well, it was onto the Circle and well, the Square.
0: At, at Yale, were there any sort of pressures on you being the daughter of who you, you know, your parents are?
2: Um... Not Well, I guess. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't so... It, towards the end, I remember hearing sort of whisperings, oh, well, you, know, you know, Kate, you're going to have it so easy, blah, blah, blah. And the truth of it was that was sort of true. I mean, we can't pretend. For some of us, myself, Amanda Plummer, Mamie Gummer, I mean, you know, we were children of, of you know, of luminaries. Getting in the door is easier. There's no question about it. Staying in the door is not as easy because if you fail forget it I mean and I have to say I feel very blessed because I did fail in a big way the first couple of you know there were a couple of shows that I did in those first three four years that were huge fat bombs but you know I just kept coming back like a bad penny no I just you know as Chekhov says we must work only work you know and I just really I just thought you know I really I'm not going to give up and you know it was it was a very and I had a lot of support I had great supporters
0: well, you mentioned Mamie Gummer, who's in *The Waters Edge* yeah, with you. she's my little darling. She's Meryl Streep's daughter. She
2: is Meryl, and Donald Gummer's daughter.
0: So there, you have you and her yes. being both children of. Oh, of it's endless. Well-known and then, actors. And Tony themselves.
2: Goldwyn is the grandson of Samuel so, Goldwyn, and of, Will Frears, our right. director, is the son of Stephen Frears, the f- British film director. So yeah, it's endless.
0: So it must be kind of fun backstage trading stories, or?
2: Yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean, you know, I mean, we've, you know, I uh, the biggest th- thrill. Uh, what well, was funny? I mean, we each traded a story of like, you know, brush with greatness, you know, our greatest moment of of meeting somebody or talking to somebody. And I was just recounting how at the Tony Awards the other night, Frankie Valli said hello to my daughter and kissed her and hugged her. And we all were like completely a wreck about it. I mean, we were like, <laughs> it's Frankie Valli,
1: you know, <laughs> freaking out.
2: So Mamie Gummer had one about Matt Damon saying hi to her. And I had one about me talking to John Lennon on the telephone. So, you know, it's... The shared lives of children, of famous people.
0: <laughs> now, have either you or Mamie ever acted with your, your parents or anything?
2: anything? Uh, you know, I don't – she has acted – she has – you will love this. She was in Heartburn. She's the little baby girl in Heartburn with her uh, mom. I did act with my, parent, uh, with my dad. I acted uh, – I did um, Alice in Wonderland on PBS with my dad. He was the white knight, and I was Alice. And uh, right before he died, we did a really slightly trashy mini series called Ellis Island. In And in one of our scenes was Frances de la Tour from History Boys. Mm. So it was hilarious. We had a memory of this. Well, she and I were talking the other day, Frances and I, and she didn't remember me. And she sort of said, oh, hello. And I said, you don't remember me, do you? And I said, Ellis Island, Richard Burton. And she went, oh! <gasps> God. Anyway, <laughs> it was just – it was great. But, um, yeah, we had a very happy time working with my dad. And what was nice is I worked with him here in New York and I worked with him in England at Shepperton Studios, which
1: was really great. As we talk about the various connections in your life, you made the connection to the Williamstown Theater Festival, which became increasingly important. But Huge. you first just went up to Williamstown as a member of the company. You got the gig. hmm But you were there for 17 seasons? I think
2: it was 17, yeah. I mean, I was basically there in 1980, 81, which were my two summers in between Yale, my three years at Yale. And then I went back in 87, and I think I pretty much went every summer with the exception of possibly two. Um, It was great. I mean, it was a place that, I mean, Nico Sakharopoulos was a huge mentor of mine. He was a great, great acting teacher, and, um, I appeared in three productions that he directed, uh, two, no, three, four productions, three as a non-equity actor, and then one, three sisters as, uh, as a professional. And, uh, I learned so much from him. I really did. And, um, when he died, it was very hard. In fact, I was working with Mark Lamos on, uh, Measure for Measure at Lincoln Center when Nikos died, and Mark was another great, uh, you know, um, mentor for me. But, um... But, uh, yeah, it uh, was great. And then uh, in 1987, I went back up there as a professional, and then uh, my husband just came and played golf. my husband, we should Mike, acknowledge
1: Michael Ritchie, who's been a guest on this program, now running right. the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles. He's, uh,
2: he was a production stage manager on Broadway for many, many years, and he came and played golf. And then the following summer, we didn't go because our son uh, had been born. And then the f- summer after, 89, he stage managed there for the first time. Uh, and I acted and we pretty much went every summer and we did some sh- sometimes shows together, sometimes shows apart. And then in 1996, by a sequence of events that were so quirky and magical and weird, he became the artistic director of the Williamstown Theater Festival and... He uh, ran the Williamstown for nine years. And then um, two years, a uh, le- little less than two years ago, he became the artistic director of the Center Theater Group in Los Angeles.
0: Now, Williamstown is a very well-known uh, summer theater festival. Yeah. What is it about Williamstown that attracts people to it, not, you know, actors, yourself 17 years, other very well-known actors are attracted. What is it about Williamstown?
2: Well, you can work on, it's It's a very strange thing. It's a It's a wonderful place, number one, Williamstown, the, Williamstown, Massachusetts. The Berkshire Mountains are just magical. Just the
0: physical location the is The physical
2: wonderful. location is staggeringly beautiful. Um, it's near all these incredible other arts venues, you know, Jacob's Pillow, Stockbridge, you know, many places, Lenox. Um... And the work is just pure. I mean, we all feel like it's where we get back to ourselves, where we get back to why we do this. You work for three weeks, you rehearse for three weeks, you perform for two weeks. A lot of people go up there and you do two shows per summer. I oftentimes do two shows per summer. And it's exhausting, honestly, to do two shows per summer. But the truth of it is that, um, that it's just the most wonderful place to work on parts that you may not have... You know, wanted to work on or needed to work on, and suddenly somebody offers you something really crazy and wild and I've played all kinds of parts there from maids to queens to you know head a to you know everything else and it's i I never have come away from a summer there not having learned a great deal um and it's very rejuvenating um, the the community supports it hugely. And it's, it's just a wonderful place. I'm going there for, for uh, a week's holiday after uh, the show ends because I, it's, the play, it's really one of the places I love most in the world.
0: Just to go as a participant to to enjoy just, the plays to I'm to
2: see the plays at uh, Roger Rees's Theater. Now Roger Rees is running Williamstown. And see my friends and go to dinner and go to my favorite fishing hole and climb up Mount Greylock. And it's just a magical place.
1: As we talk about all of this heady work at Williamstown and uh, Chekhov and Ibsen and so <laughs> on, it's worth noting that you have done a couple of musicals, and yes, people don't I have. often think about those—Dunesbury—and then <laughs> uh, a number of years later, uh, the revival of Company I at think. the Roundabout. What's what's your relationship to musicals? Do you look for them, or were those two flukes?
2: They were sort of semi-flukish. Oh, well, they weren't really flukish. I mean, both. Um, you know, Scott Ellis was an old friend of mine, and he directed Company. He knew that I, I really enjoyed singing. I really credit Jimmy Naughton, James Naughton, with getting me to sing. Because at Williamstown, we used to have this cabaret in the summer. And J- Jimmy would sing in the cabaret, and I started to sing. and I was very, very frightened, and he just encouraged me, and I got more and more confident. And I'm not really a show-tune kind of gal, so... You know, I, I you wouldn't find me in those, but Sondheim is right up my alley, and anything that's sort of semi-rockish is right up my alley. So, I've um, I've done some uh, some musical entertainments over the years, and uh, uh, I've had some opportunities, musical opportunities, which I haven't been able to do. I I had something a few years ago that was by Mister Sondheim that I couldn't do, which was very sad for me, but. Um, you know, he's somebody – I went to see Sweeney Todd the other day, and I just said, oh, yes, I would like to play Mrs. Lovett someday. <laughs> someday. I think I'd have to work for a year to learn the material. But um, but it's the kind of thing that's very thrilling to me. And I have to say, being in company, that opening number – Jerry Zachs, the great director, had said to me, wait till you learn that opening number. That opening number of company – is one of the most thrilling things you'll ever do. And it was—it really, truly was. I never... There was never a day being in that show that I didn't want to be there that I wasn't so excited to get on stage with, you know, La Chans and Charlotte D'Amboise and Boyd Gaines and Deborah Monk and, you know, Jane Krakowski and sing the opening number of company it was thrilling. Yeah. But I do love to sing. I love it.
0: We're talking about doing musicals. Uh, you've done very serious plays. You've done... Um, Period pieces like *The Constant Wife* was set in the twenties. Mm-hmm. You've done *Head of Gambler*. What attracts you to a role? What, what do you look for when you're choosing what to do?
2: Um, mostly a challenge, something that I haven't done before. I hadn't done something like *The Constant Wife*. Um, I, I'll be frank with you. I mean, they offered me *The Constant Wife*, and I read it after the offer, and I sat there and I went, "Ooh, you know." And I, it did. It wasn't. It wasn't a clear to me how great the show was. I mean, it was clear to me that it was beautiful writing, but I thought, "Oh my god, it's so." dense and there's so much of it, and I never stopped talking. You know, we called it the constantly talking wife. Um,
0: which was you. That was the role was you played. Yeah.
2: There was one point, and I credit my brilliant director, Mark Brokaw, with this, where I literally, there was, there was about seven pages that I literally hardly stopped talking with people just going, but yes, no. And that, it really took me a long time to learn it. That was one of the biggest, doing the constant wife was one of the biggest challenges I've ever had in the theater. Learning that part was... I can't even begin to tell you. There were times where I thought, oh, I don't think this is going to happen really, you know. But it was very bracing. And when I finally got it under my belt, it was such an amazing experience.
0: So how did you finally decide that you were going to do it?
2: Um, you know, I I needed to get out of the house, honestly. <laughs> my son was applying to college, and I was going through the whole madness of the junior, uh, junior year, spring of junior year with the college-bound junior year and I thought I gotta get out of the house I have no life I'm like so freaked out about his SATs if I don't do something else so I did the constant wife which you know and it was great for him he was like how's it going mom I'm like okay <laughs> well you're lucky that I'm out of your life stopping stopping especially because
0: mom, mom had to memorize those seven pages plus a oh, lot of other script oh God. too <laughs> I mean
2: I remember actually in rehearsal one day underlining my part and Enid Graham who played my sister was sitting across the table from me and I looked up at her and she said, like, all the color has just drained from your face. And I thought, this is the biggest part I've ever played. Bigger than Hedda. Bigger than... I mean, it was epic. I mean, it was really... But Mark Brokaw was the most perfect director for it because he has such grace and he has such patience. And he really was clear about... The the timbre of the play, and you know, when I first encountered the play, I thought, "Oh, it's like Coward, it's like Shaw." It's really not. It's really all by itself. It's not. It doesn't have that, you know, witticism, cutting, you know, commentary of, of of Coward, or the huge lofty, you know, philosophies of Shaw. It's really a very treads a very fine line, and it's a beautiful play.
0: So then, how did you decide to be on Grey's Anatomy?
2: <laughs> well, I auditioned for this show called Surgeons, and actually, I was supposed to just meet on it. And, and it was called it was, Surgeons originally. Yes, yeah. and it was called Surgeons, and I was my agents had said, "Oh, you know, it's the mom; she's got early onset Alzheimer's," and I was like, "Fabulous, wonderful." So that's what it's come to.
0: Cheerful part.
2: Cheerful part. And anyway, and he said, "You know." Just go in. It's just a meeting. You'll see if you like them, see what happens. Anyway, I was waiting for so long, as one does, um, for my uh, interview that it was just a page of dialogue, so I just learned it. And I said to them, you know what? I'm just going to read this for you because it's just easier. What are we going to talk about? What I ate for lunch? You know, this is ridiculous. So I read it for them. There was this little pause, and I thought, oh, they really liked my audition. And, you know, I really <laughs> thought, because I was 46 at the time that I auditioned uh-huh. for it, and I thought, this is ridiculous. I'm so young. I mean, why would... anyone?" Anyway. no, no, it's great that you're so young. So sure enough, I got the part and did the pilot thinking, nothing will ever come of this. No one will ever see this pilot.
1: Well... It, and the rest it, is history. The rest is history because as... A stage actress, you are known throughout the community. You have done television and film work for a long time, yeah. but being on a top ten television series, even even in a featured role, is is, is is a whole different story. How's that affected you? Are you now rec- you know I'm recognized recon- by complete strangers I, on the street?
2: I go well, I and I take the subway. You know, so I sit on the subway and I just see all these heads go, bing, 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 you know. And because I'm on the show intermittently, they talk about my character all the time. I was only on the show this year actually six times. Last year I was on four times. Um, And I'm going to be back on it again next year. Um, Thank God. But, but, uh, you know, you just can't figure it. I mean, it is truly the power of television is so profound. You know, it's 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 really mind blowing.
0: Well, you to be back on it next year, but you also, gotta, I presume, be living on the West Coast because your husband has I'm moved out to there. I'm moving to
2: Los Angeles um, at the end of the summer, though I'm coming back uh, probably the following season to do something in New York on Broadway that I will talk about when it's finalized. Um, and uh, and then I am uh, doing the Cherry Orchard at uh, the Huntington Theatre in Boston with Nikki Martin, who directed me and had a Gabbler. And that'll happen in the month of January. I love. I've I, I worked in Boston quite a few times, and um, so the sort of that's kind of what I have on my plate. You know, I'll do Grey's Anatomy. I will put my daughter in third grade, and my son is going to college, and. You know, it's, we're moving along to the next chapter of our lives.
0: Any other film or TV work while you're living on the West Coast?
2: Right now, no. I have a whole bunch of movies coming out, like right. small parts and interesting, you know, independent features. The most notable is a movie called Sherry Baby with Maggie Gyllenhaal. And then I'm also um, in a movie called um, Lovely by Surprise with a lot of uh, New York actors, um, Carrie Preston, Reg Rogers, and Dallas Ro- Roberts. So it's... Uh, and Michael Chernus. So it's... Uh, You know, I really enjoy doing these, like, little one-off. I went to Memphis, Tennessee and made this great little movie. And I love doing film and TV, but my heart is in the theater.
1: I want to ask you, before we let you go, about a project you were involved in. There's now a multi-DVD set of Shakespeare technique, a workshop that you participated in with some extraordinary Mm -hmm. people. And I was Mm -hmm. just wondering how that came about, and I, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of, of the overall I think project. it's
2: called Working in Shakespeare. I, myself, and Cecily Berry. Cecily from, Barry,
1: from England. From the Royal Shakespeare but Company. But it's, you know, Claire Daines, Samuel oh, Jackson. It was endlessly long ago.
2: And Tony Goldwyn. Tony and I, we did it, I think, ten years ago.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, because
2: I looked at my hairstyle, and it was so definitely it's, ten years old. So
1: not a new project. It's
2: not a new project. I mean, Claire had just done Romeo and Juliet. Um, Sam Jackson I mean it was really and um, you know who's in it is Emily Watson she was her movie that incredible large, Breaking the Waves yeah that was about to come out it hadn't mm-hmm. come out yet so it's sort of an interesting kind of little moment in time um, we worked with Cecily Barry for I think it was two or three days and it, it was an extraordinary experience I must say and it finally came out ten years later hmm. I'd I'm thrilled to be in it I must say, we just, Tony and I just both received it ourselves. We were stunned. We forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Well, kind of coming full circle, we started off talking about The Water's Edge. That's a limited run. How, how long does it run?
2: It runs until July the 9th. And um, it's a, it, it, the schedule changes every week. So there's sometimes we have Sunday night shows. Sometimes we have Wednesday matinees. This week we have Friday off. So the kids
1: never know when you're going to be home. I don't know what the heck is going on. (laughs) Nobody knows what's going on. Mom's come home. must not be a show today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we
2: had a show last night, which was a Monday, and that was a little bit shocking.
0: (laughs) Well... Uh, Water's Edge at Second Stage, which is on 43rd Street, just off 8th Avenue. It's a delightful show. Delightful is not really the word. It's a very well-done show that is engrossing. Compelling. That's a good (laughs) word for a compelling show. (laughs) On that note, Kate Burton, thanks so much for being
1: with us today at Downstage
2: Center. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Kate. For the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, reminding our listeners that these programs and all of the educational and media work of the American Theatre Wing is available online, on demand, for free from our website, www.americantheaterwing.org.
0: And for XM Satellite Radio, I'm John Von Seusten for Downstage Center. That's a wrap, and thank you.